and you're listening to the really useful podcast this is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley, and a little bit later, I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Gavin Phillips. But before that, we've got a bit of news to get through. Uh, As you probably know, we have a, a weekly podcast which starts off with a bit of important tech news that affects consumers. Consumer tech news, news that matters, not who's taken over what company unless it's in the case of Twitter, but uh, things that affect you how uh, and how your equipment and devices might be used in future. And uh, we've got quite an important one to start off with. Hackers are spreading malware via TikTok's Invisible Body Challenge. It's a popular TikTok challenge, like many others before, and is being exploited by hackers to spread info stealer malware. Now, this is... Uh, a bit of a problem. TikTok's invisible body challenge involves the use of a filter to block out a user's bodily features and solely display their silhouette. This silhouette is then matched to the background of the video, creating an impression of invisibility. And you can check these using the hashtag invisible filter tag. It's had over 25 million views, making this a very popular trend. Now, while the invisible body trend itself is harmless, it's been hijacked. Attackers are capitalising on the allure of unfiltering these nude videos to spread WASP malware. That's W-A-S-P malware. The hacker will post a fake video claiming to have removed the filter using a software program, exposing the naked body of the creator in question. This is designed to pique the interest of certain individuals who might want to use the software themselves to unfilter TikTok videos in a similar manner. It's uh, pretty sleazy. The Wasp info stealer malware targets numerous kinds of data, including credit card details, login information, and even cryptocurrency wallets. For example, a victim's Discord login credentials could be stolen. Their payment details may be taken to conduct transactions under the name. All sorts of bad things could happen if you get hooked in to this scam. Now, this is by no means the first time TikTok has been used to spread malware and carry out scams. We'll have the full details about this risk in the show notes. In the meantime, I guess the sensible option is to avoid the invisible body challenge on TikTok. Now it's uh, winter time. The nights in the Northern Hemisphere are drawing in. It gets dark a lot earlier. Children are feeling a bit sleepier earlier. What better way to get them off to sleep than with a unique bedtime story? Amazon's Create with Alexa feature has been launched. It's an AI story that is unique to whoever requests it. Available on any Echo Show device, this feature uses conversational and generative artificial intelligence to create unique stories with narrative, colourful graphics, and and even background music. And this is displayed on the screen of the Echo Show. Uh, Intended for kids of four to eight, all they have to say is, Alexa, make me a story. After following a few prompts, like a theme and character, and name the character, and a colour theme, and some adjectives, uh, Alexa then creates a story that ranges from five to ten lines. So it's not by any means a, uh, a, a voluminous tome, but it's a nice 
story aimed at small children. Now, to, um, to, to use this, you, as I say, you need an Echo Show, and there's more information about this in Amazon's blog post on the matter. Now, the remainder of today's show is myself in conversation with Gavin Phillips, in which we discuss a number of interesting topics that you can see in the title of this edition. Twitter is a place that is now owned by Elon Musk, a man who has supported a particular cryptocurrency called uh, Dogecoin. Dogecoin? Dogecoin? Whatever. Um, Doge, I think. Doge. Doge. <laughs> whatever that means. And uh, but Twitter has been a place for uh, crypto uh, promotion and um, th- th- those kind of uh, IPOs and uh, also scams. There's a lot of uh, crypto scams on Twitter, isn't there? Yeah, there really are. Like a, it's a quite a phenomenal amount, really. Uh, anybody who's used Twitter will have noticed that under effectively every post that a famous person makes, there's hundreds of extra posts saying, "Oh, you know, I use this Bitcoin service," or "You know, multiply your Bitcoin earnings by X, Y, Z." You know, it's all fantastical scam stuff um if you click then you know you will lose your money but uh recently i actually received a scam message in my twitter inbox and i normally do what everybody should do uh and i hit report and i hit block and that's the end of it but for once i thought you know what i will see what happens (laughs) Mm. um so the the idea of this Twitter scam, I mean, as with all scams, is to part someone from their money. Um, But in this case, I received a a message in my inbox that said I had randomly won uh, half a Bitcoin, um, which at the time was worth $10,000 or so. So, you know, that sounds jolly good, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, So uh, the message says head to this uh, cryptocurrency exchange, somewhere where you can buy and sell cryptos uh, and redeem your code. So I went to the website redeemed my code and lo and behold 0.51 bitcoin appears magically in the account so that's all going jolly well at that point um so then the next part is you attempt to withdraw your crypto and this is where the scam you know really gets going so you put your your bitcoin address into the website and you hit withdraw and lo and behold it says oh pending uh please wait for us to confirm your withdrawal and then within a short period uh it turns to failed your withdrawal has failed (gasps) please deposit funds (laughs) before we can uh process your withdrawal and that is the the crux of the scam uh this particular type of crypto twitter scam anyway uh and they were said the message says uh, the minimum amount of verification deposit is 0.02 Bitcoin, which is a couple of hundred dollars, maybe three hundred dollars or 0.3 uh, uh, 0.3 Ethereum, um, which is about the same again, you know. So they're not seeking to scam 
thousands of dollars from people because that would make it obvious, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's way, way easier to scam a few hundred quid off ten people than, you know, ten thousand pounds off one person. So the idea is hit many people, and um, hopefully it works out. And the volume of messages they can send and do send, um, because my inbox on Twitter is constantly full of these types of messages. Um, you know, some people are obviously falling for it, which is, which is a shame. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I mentioned Elon Musk earlier. He, one of the things he said about buying Twitter is that he wants to cut down on spam. It'd be nice if you cut down on this sort of spam. Scams. Scam spams. <laughs> Scam spam. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, he, um, he, I think it would be really good if he could. Uh, the idea that he has had or or at least one idea that he's floated is to get everybody to pay uh, a very very small amount of dogecoin to post a tweet so currently uh dogecoin retails for i don't know what it is in dollars but it's like 0.05 so yeah 5p effectively uh in the uk or 7p um to post but i can't imagine many people want to pay uh, five pence or you know seven cents or whatever it is to to make a post on twitter each and every time and that also comes with the assumption that that particular cryptocurrency would remain very very low so if that changed and suddenly one doge became worth one dollar which in itself is unlikely because of how many dogecoin there are in existence there are hundreds of million uh, hundreds of billions even sorry so the inflation side of it is is bonkers but the idea that you would pay to to tweet seems a bit kind of a bit out there really mm. maybe to pay to send a direct message to someone because that's how you receive this isn't it yeah and that would I, I guess make a big difference isn't it um without digressing too much into what Mr. Musk might do with Twitter. He's also said that he wants people to pay for their uh, verified check status. So the blue tick that, you know, people get when they reach a sufficient level of followers or their account is likely to be copied and, and used in a scam. He now wants people to pay to receive that tick. And this isn't confirmed. This is still speculation uh, at the time of recording. But I'm guessing a lot of people would also go, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'll just yeah. stop using Twitter. Like, yeah. why would I pay for that? Yes. Yes, that's fair enough. Okay. A few weeks ago, I reviewed a dash cam. And I can't remember. It was a DD Pi model that I wasn't hugely impressed with. But um, that's by the by. Because the most important thing about dash cam isn't necessarily the recording, although that is a very vital part of it. It's being able to get the footage off it. Now, I found with that dash cam that it was kind of tricky to get the footage off it uh one reason being that it had an ad hoc 2.4 gigahertz wi-fi uh network which is for a 4k recorded file that takes a bit of time to get the data off um it had a usb port but that means uh, detaching it and taking it in the house as does um ejecting the uh, micro sd card uh, it turned out that that was the easiest option even if it actually required uh, me to have a kind of uh six millimeter long nails to get the sd card out <laughs> viewing and downloading dashcam video footage is important though for your insurers for the police or even if you just wanted to share it on the youtube because you know you might have 
seen an asteroid or something. It's always other people who see asteroids. It's never me. It's like the Aurora Borealis. I live in one of the best parts in the world to see the Aurora Borealis. I have never seen the Aurora Borealis. <laughs> you just got to look up, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, like when I was uh, the sort of age of um, going to the pub regularly or drinking late, I would exit the establishment facing the sea, looking north. Never saw it. <laughs> never saw it okay i'm digressing okay so there's several things that you can do to get the dashcam video to your computer uh the best options are our usb cable and micro sd card your dashcam may have a companion app that's also a good option as well when it comes to viewing the footage it should naturally play with your platform's default uh, media player if it doesn't then vlc player is the best catch-all option which includes all the codecs that you need to view footage once you've done that and you found the because you know finding the right footage can take a while if it had if it's if it'd been an incident then the gyroscopic uh, sensor in the dash cam will initiate emergency recording which saves the emergency recording to a different folder to the main looped recordings on your sd card so it's easy to find emergencies because they're in the emergency folder but you know you might still have two or three files to get through to find the right one whatever the case once you've found it it's then ready to uh, you know crop down and edit using a video editing app and then uh, send that to whoever needs to see it or upload it to youtube or facebook or whatever but if your dash cam has gps data and it's recording that at the same time this is where things can get a little bit tricky because that D- gps data is really really uh, vital well i say vital it's really useful to uh, establishing exactly what happened where and when the event incident took place if your dashcam has the facility to uh, record the GPS data, then you need an app that will also display the GPS data alongside the video. Now, some dashcam manufacturers provide an app that will do this. Others don't. Hi, DDPi. So, in that event, you need to find software that will work for you. Uh, there is an app called Dashcam Viewer, which has a free trial. You can use that. Um, the free trial watermarks it. You can pay $35 to unlock it and uh, use it uh, normally, as it were, without the uh, restrictions. If you have GPS, it's a really good option to have that. But it's entirely, you know, it's up to you. If you just want to get that footage of the meteor uploaded then t- to YouTube and get your likes and your, your views, then, uh, you know, just download it to your, to your computer, upload to YouTube, and uh, Bob's your uncle, really, or um, Bob's your asteroid, whatever. Do you use a dash cam, Gavin? I um, occasionally use a smartphone, actually, on one ah. of those ones. There's so many uh, old smartphones lying around, uh, and I actually saw an article on uh, makeuseof.com. <laughs> oh, they're, they're good, then. Um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're pretty good, those guys. Um, but suggesting that you do that, um, and I use uh, a couple of different apps on Android, uh, Android easy for me to say. <laughs> Um, I think one's called Auto Boy, uh, one's called like Drive Droid or something like that. Uh, and I find them pretty good actually. It all depends on the quality of your smartphone in that instance. Yeah. Um, but I'm using an old, I'm using a OnePlus One, the original OnePlus, because I've got a stack of them. And um, it works pretty well actually. You know, I think some of the nighttime recording could be better. Mm-hmm. Um, you're sort of you're limited by 
you know how well it can see in the dark and if you know where where i live imagine where you live as well if you drive out down the country lanes at night there's no lights at all by your car light so you're very limited but in the daytime i think it is perfectly fine i was kind of in the the market though for for a new dash cam i know you've reviewed quite a few christian so what, what what would your tips be maybe Tips for a new dash cam. I yeah. ooh, now you now you now you now you're challenging me, aren't you? I um I recommend a dash cam that is as small as possible that records in the best possible quality and makes things very easy to get the data off. Uh-huh. So I I, I like uh, the the attention to the data here because I feel like this is a struggle you've maybe had more than once. <laughs> Possibly. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. I think the one I've enjoyed using the most was the uh, Vava 4K UHD, which was 4K, beautiful nighttime driving, small and compact, and didn't have a display on it. Displays can be distracting, so it's not great to have them, really. You can just, yeah, I mean, yes, you can turn them off, but it's even better if you have a dash cam that's small enough to not need to turn it off because there's no display on there and everything syncs through the phone. I think that's the one that I've had the most success with in terms of excellent recording quality, no problem with the GPS, and uh, it just it just worked. But it stopped just working entirely. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> so I no longer have that. So the one I'm using at the moment for the next few days is the uh, DDPi 4K, which is the last one that I reviewed. But I'm about to review the Vantu E2. I think it's called. Uh, which won a design award in the IF Design Award in 2022. And yeah, it's uh-huh. the Vantu Element 2. I'm a, I mean, I'm literally unwrapping this this afternoon and installing it in the car. So. That and this is a front and back camera as well. That's the other thing as well. If you, I find the ones with a rear camera, they are a fuss to set up, but mm. I think it's kind of important to have. I did have a really good one. The Vantru N2 Pro had an internal camera facing you as well as facing out, and that was kind of useful. A better option than recording directly behind you in terms of doing all the wiring and everything. But I do, I do think that having a rear camera is a better option for any dash cam user really as well as the front camera yeah it makes sense so much you know so much comes from behind doesn't it yes absolutely yeah i I mean when i first tried one with a rear camera as well seeing what people were doing you know you can glance in your mirrors every few seconds and you know you get an idea of how far away people are when you actually see that when you actually record them and then watch it back and see what people are doing behind you good lord (laughs) <laughs> sometimes better not to know <laughs> well maybe yes maybe maybe okay uh well let's move on to our final section today gavin what is the internet of things god what is the internet of things it's just the things on the I... internet isn't it uh, it's just things and stuff uh all connected <laughs> to the internet in fact you know what that's actually Although we're, we're joking, that kind of is what the Internet of Things is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the Internet of Things, although it is a bit of a silly phrasing for it, um, it covers the entire range of stuff that can be connected to the Internet now. Um, and that means things like 
um, oh god, anything. So your your router is technically an Internet of Things, but it's also your your dash doorbell or uh, a, a Wi-Fi sensor front door or something in your car that you send or take information from. Uh, and then there's the industrial applications of machines that are connected to you know intranets that are also considered Internet of Things devices. So the long and the short of it really is that Internet of things uh, are internet connected devices that we can communicate with um and i guess that we couldn't previously communicate with so what's um, the advantage of this then well i think in many ways it's meant to make life easier isn't it it's a way for devices to connect to other devices and a way for us to connect to other devices so um it could be devices that have a, a sensor in them that maybe previously you would have had to uh, I guess a good example would maybe be like a weather device, something that senses the weather. Previously, you might have had to go up to your little, your your homemade weather checker and see what's going on with it. But now that it's uh, Internet of Things connected, um, you can just go online and see what how you know what the weather is doing or mm. uh, how much rain there's been or which way the wind is blowing uh, and that sort of thing. Um, as with all things. It's meant to make things easier, um, but it doesn't always work like that because, although, because as you might expect, with so many different devices being connected to the internet, they don't all communicate nicely and they don't all communicate using the same um, language effectively. So you will find different languages. So some devices will use wi-fi some will use bluetooth and then there are also uh what are called internet of things protocols like z-wave uh matter and and zigbee and all of these things speak to each other in different languages which although that's why go back to my previous point it's meant to make things easier but yeah. it's not always the way is it no it's not i um i mean i've got a security system in my office and I'm finding it very difficult to add things to it because I can't find things that are compatible. So it comes down to the the platform that you use and then the the languages yeah. that your platform uses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so what devices are you trying to connect to it? I want um, a camera, basically. Yes. I often think that with these platforms, the easiest thing to do is use something that is quite uniform, like like Bluetooth, for example, um, which is very simple to use out of the box, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have what are known as um, Internet of Things platforms, um, which are separate to the protocols I previously mentioned and a platform, an IoT platform is meant to be something to unify various Internet of Things devices and the various languages that they use to communicate into a single hub. So a good example of this is the, the, the SmartThings hub um, and SmartThings can connect using Wi-Fi, Z-Wave, Zigbee, 
uh, and matter. Uh, it may even support Bluetooth as well, actually. I'm not 100% sure on that. But um, so instead of faffing around and trying to get the disparate parts of your system working, you you buy a single hub and everything connects to that one thing. And then, you know, invariably you have uh, a smartphone app that you can then control everything through. Yeah, that's the idea. Um I mean, in in, term, in general terms, you're absolutely right. But to, just to refer to what I just brought up with you, that doesn't apply here. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame. But, yeah, I mean, roughly that is what the Internet of Things is. You might call it the network of stuff if you wanted to. They could have called it that. It might have been more entertaining had they done so. The Internet of Things does sound a little bit kind of... Uh, it does sound a little bit kind of... It's not the most friendly name, is it, for things? For anything, I th- I think things is ve- it's vague, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. It doesn't specify what it actually is. You know, I find I actually if I if I'm writing an article, for example, and I realise I'm about to write the word things, <laughs> <laughs> I tend to go back and rewrite the sentence because I realise that that's not giving enough information, yeah. and yet we have this worldwide network. <laughs> of stuff <laughs> mm. and and they're called things <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast. Uh, big thanks to Gavin Phillips for joining us. I'm Christian Corley. We're both from makeuseof.com. And if you feel that uh, anything that you've heard in today's show will be useful to your friends, family, or just your, your social followers, please share the podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you'll find us pretty much everywhere that you find podcasts. We'll be back for a new show next week with a bit of a Christmas theme. Until then, it's goodbye from us.